Hey everyone, this is the uh, Manips and Sips podcast. Uh, today we have a uh, special guest, the uh, legendary uh, Kyle Feldman with us today. Um, I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and uh, my usual partner in crime, Dr. Brandon Cruz over there. Uh, today we're going to be talking about patient education with Kyle, uh, but before I get too much into that, let me pass it off to, uh, to Brandon first, I guess. But uh, how's Jeremy, it going, Brandon? Thanks for the introduction. Um, got my usual cup of bourbon here as you named it earlier the goblet of doom and if you guys saw the uh episode last time you guys got the story on that um excited to have our first official guest of our podcast here at manips and sips uh dr kyle feldman uh i guess just a little history uh before i pass it off to kyle uh kyle and i met uh, a few years ago at 2017 at um gibbons Tehan manipulation course out in uh, oklahoma it was a five-day course um, we started working together, started talking, uh, headed off, and then we um, kind of stood in touch over the years and uh, met each other up at some conferences, had the opportunity to present with this guy. Um, I'm going to read off his bio now, and it puts, uh, puts hours to shame. And, and if you thought we did a lot, wait until you see this guy. So uh, gradu- graduated, went to and graduated from Shenandoah University in 2011 and got his doctorate uh, degree in physical therapy in 2014. He has done three, uh, I guess, volunteer mission trips to Haiti, Nicaragua, and Ghana uh, to perform and teach uh, physical therapy. And I'm not sure if you did anything else, Kyle, but please elaborate when I pass it off. Uh, He then went on to uh, Virginia Orthopedic of Manual Therapy Institute, VOMTI, um, where he did his orthopedic uh, residency and then went on to pass his uh, board certification as OCS in 2016. Right after that, kept on going, went into his uh, fellowship in orthopedic manual physical therapy at University of Illinois at Chicago. He has presented numerous times at AOMT. He is involved in APTA. What, do you, what else do you do, Kyle? Global affairs, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting lost in everything you've done. You play, you play D3 football, you have a wife, and a beautiful daughter and a dog. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm just going to pass it off to you, and hopefully you can, uh, clean, clean that up before I start butchering it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfect. You guys, uh, you guys embarrass me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I met uh, Dr. Brandon at Gibbons and Tehan. It was a great course. Um, whenever a patient tells you they're sore from manipulation, they're absolutely lying to you because five days of manipulation, you are actually sore. So that is that is full blown soreness. Um, I guess it was love at first crack, and uh, we started started talking afterwards, just talking about research and techniques and skills, and kept it going through AOM. And uh, from there, I got to meet Dr. Boyd and see everything that he's doing. I'm impressed with his ability to start a clinic. I was uh, trying to do that on my own here in Virginia, and that uh, kind of inspired me to see how they're both doing it and doing it so well. So thank you guys for having me, and excited to uh, talk tonight. Yep. And just real quick, you're the uh, a co-owner of Reshape Physical Therapy in what part of Virginia? We're in Winchester, Virginia. Uh, we're looking to expand out from there. So I'm the director of physical therapy. We also uh, are partnering with primary care uh, for general wellness, um, testosterone management, pretty much working inside of gyms, trying to integrate with gyms to provide health care um, and trying to improve that synergy between the two. So uh, I'm doing the physical therapy side and partnering with some other really smart people uh, Dr. Vishali Gaib and Dr. Uh, um, Shane Gaib and Jeff Skeen, who work in these areas to uh, improve that as well. 
That, that's awesome. awesome. Uh, definitely a unique model. I mean, I mean, you know, therapists have been opening up in gyms solely just as therapists or, you know, other disciplines like Kairos, but it seems like you're adding a multidisciplinary approach to that, which is, uh, I, I think, unique, probably for another conversation. Uh, but before we get sidetracked, uh, Jeremy, take us out. What's, what's today's um, uh, episode about? What are we diving into? Uh, today, uh, we're going to be diving into uh, patient education. I know that's something Kyle is extremely passionate about. Um, I think I always tell my students or anybody who's working with me is uh, I always kind of quiz them what's the uh, most effective thing we can give our, our patients. And uh, usually they see my videos and they think it's manual therapy. Uh, then they go into exercise. Uh, but ultimately, the most no, no, no. It's I wish it was. I wish we could just say we had magic cans and cure everyone, and you know, in one day out the other. But uh, I truly believe the most powerful thing we give, or um, most important thing we give to our clients, is education. Uh, I believe that's what can really help, you know, prevent future injuries and um, you know, just get them on the path to well-being. Um, but yeah, I'll. Uh, I guess should we talk about our drinks real quick and yeah, uh, yeah. get do. it going? And uh, I'll just—I guess I'll start with everything going on. Uh, uh, the local brewery to me, uh, Axe Narrow uh, in Glassboro, where my clinic is, uh, joined in on the Black Is Beautiful uh, collaboration, which I believe is going all around the country, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, I think the uh, Weathered Souls Brewing Company in uh, San Antonio, Texas, started. So it's a 12% Imperial Stout, which I had on the beach this weekend. Uh, typical beach beer, but I had to have it. Um, yeah, it was, it was a breakfast beer, so it, was, uh, it wasn't too bad. Um, but, um, yeah, really awesome beer. Um, really cool that they got into this. Uh, I rate it as a uh, uh, 7.8 on the uh, Jeremy Boyd beer scale. But, uh, Brandon, you can you – can, Talk about your goblet if you're drinking anything else, or Kyle. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. I'm going with my uh, my drink of the past few episodes, uh, Noble Oak. Um, keeping it simple, but I'll pass it off to Kyle. Uh, I'm not sure if you've done any other podcast, Kyle, but uh, I think this is the first podcast you've probably been able to drink on here. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. I usually have to sneak it out on the side, so this is pretty cool. Um, I like to homebrew, so I'm a I'm a beer guy as well like Jeremy is. So what I brought go, is a b beer out of Maryland. So I'm from Maryland. I, I love the Maryland stuff. And this is from Flying Dog. Anyone knows Flying Dog Brewery? It's called The Truth. It's an IPA. I do solemnly swear. Uh, 8.7. Uh, my cousin's actually the chief marketing officer, Ben Savage. They do a great job of incorporating Maryland, um, having great, strong beers. That's what they do. And they're great. Mm. So this is one of my favorite by them. It's easy to drink, goes down easy. Um, it's got a good flavor. But if you guys are in that East Coast uh, and you're looking for a good beer, I would definitely look at Flying Dog. I definitely recommend them. I've had them. They, they're all the way up in New Jersey. Um, so anytime I see them, it's a solid beer. So, but uh, Let's let's get to the good stuff, uh, Kyle. You want to kind of kick us kick us off when it comes to education, um, being that you're our honorary first guest here. Sure, let's do it. So, for me, I, um, I I finished PT school. I had a great mentor who's a fellow trained, and he kind of led me as my last CI into doing residency. I learned all the cool tricks and techniques, and I was like ready to go. 
And then I said, I'm just going to go right into fellowship. So I went out to Chicago, confident in my manual skills, confident in what I was doing, just like any person one to two years out of school, thought I was the best, thought I knew everything. Um, I get out there and my first mentor, uh, about 35 years experience, um, not from America. He's got that Maitland strong background from him. We do our first visit. I felt good. I, I finished the visit. I did a manual technique. I taught him some exercises. And he goes, did you hear anything that patient just told you? And I was like, what? So I completely thought I had it because I knew the techniques. And I didn't realize how much I was missing on the front end to build that bond, build that communication, and really truly hear what people are saying to then be able to educate properly. So um, one of my, my favorite mentors was the one who completely knocked me on my butt, not knowing what was happening. So that's what really got me down this path. Awesome. Yeah, I think, and Jeremy and I t talk about it all the time. I, I think the most growth happens when, when somebody, you know, kind of checks you a little bit, checks your ego, challenge you a little bit, and then you're, you're kind of left looking, you know, left and right of what just happened. I, I thought I did a good job. Um, so it seems like, you know, that's the only way to really pr progress is, is to be challenged and really um, self-reflection. So, uh, I, I know in, in our side conversations, um, Kyle, you know, this, this is something that is, uh, you know, passionate for you. Uh, I, I think even talking, I can't remember if it was AMP or, or the, the Gibbons Tien course, you had stopped performing, uh, manipulations for a while. Was that, is that correct? Or you stopped dry needling or you basically really limited your manual therapy uh, at one point. So you can, um, I guess, focus on, on communication or, or can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so I, I see people on social media and I, I listen to you guys' podcasts. I love it. And I know you guys talk about these groups who maybe just do exercise or, or are really against manual and we're not even going to give them credit for anything because we don't really believe in that thought process. But those people challenged me, just like all my mentors and residency and fellowship. And it made me think, what if I tried a different way? What if I don't do what I normally would do? and veer from it and see what happens. So at one point I, I did, I stopped manipulating. I did more PAs just to see what that would do. Um, I didn't do dry needling for four years because mm -hmm. I wanted to get my hands better. I thought it would be a great treatment technique, something I could use, but I chose not to do it, not to do harm, but to try to figure out, is there a better way to do it instead of what my mind instantly goes to? Um, so that's one thing I really started doing. And then as people, have these questions or, or they question my thinking, I'll try a different route and see if that can help me and, and, and change my clinical reasoning and my growth as a therapist and provider. Yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. having the ability to kind of take on that challenge and take a step back and, and kind of, you know, change your, your paradigm. But it also seems like, you know, you've gone back to doing manual therapy and dry needling and you had only stop to, to further your skill set. And, and I think something that Jeremy and I um, kind of, I guess, is a, um, something that we, we really harp on and, and want to make that distinction of is it's not that we don't educate or try and communicate um, or don't do pain science, but we want people and therapists to kind of be able to do that whole spectrum. Do, do you agree, disagree mm -hmm. with, with, uh, with that? How, you know, did your results change by not doing the manual therapy that you wanted to? Did they get better, worse, same? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, and I think it, it, 
if we knew manual therapy got everyone better, our, our doors would be lined up to the brim. Mm -hmm. um, chiropractors would never have an issue. Massage therapists would be curing everybody. Um, acupuncturists would be like these alternative medicines would be the only answer. Mm -hmm. But to me, what I really emphasize and the thought process I have is that I've learned from great smart people is the right patient, right treatment, right time. So you got to have that combination there for it to work. And so what I've learned is that communication, understanding day one and, and having that connection, that therapeutic alliance with your patient, you figure out, is it the right treatment at the right time? Is that the right patient for that? So it can help you decide, is that technique the right one? Yeah, Jeremy, any, any questions? Because I have, I have a no. lot. I want to, I want to ask you some questions to help better where I am because you know I right now I'm the only uh, clinician in my office. Um, yes, I, I'm highly trained, but you know I get biased. I, I get tunnel vision sometimes. I, you know, it, it's it's natural. But before I get into that and ask some questions, Jeremy, you got anything? No, I just, uh, I, I agree with what Kyle was saying. Um, I think I, I just had a conversation with my student um, about a day or so ago about meniscal surgeries or meniscectomies. And I think a couple of years ago, they did a, uh, a study on uh, comparing surgery versus sham surgery versus conservative rehab. And the outcomes were the same across the board. Um, and to say, it's like, oh, all right, then we don't need to do the surgery for anyone. Um, no, it's like, no, some people, they do need the surgery. Some people have that belief or they have a mechanical issue in regards to that uh, meniscus and they need to have it, but it's what they need just specifically for them. It can't be everyone needs to have that surgery. You know, there is, as you're saying, the right treatment for everyone. And we need to be able to give that. And I think the beauty of physical therapy is we can dabble into just about everything minus surgery. We can educate, we could provide hands-on, we can do dry needling, we can do soft tissue work and one, an exercise, obviously. And one of those components or all those components combined can be that recipe for success for that individual. So no, I, I don't have any particular questions right now. So, but just felt like throwing that into the mix. I appreciate it. Um, Kyle, it looked like you're about to say something. Yeah, I think that was journal. It was from the New England Journal of Medicine. I remember they did that a while ago. I don't know if they followed up on it, but you're right. And we know now with this pain science, we talk about how MRIs and, and imaging is everyone's got it. You know, if you take random people off the street, but I had a patient today who was told that by a doctor and her comment, and this is, this is valid. She goes, but I had a mechanism injury and my pain is in that same location. Why is that not related to my pain? And it's a valid question and it didn't get answered because we do that. We say, okay, a lot of people are going to have herniated disc and meniscus, but what if it is related? So like for her, she was lifting a 400 pound man, three person assist as a nurse. She felt a sharp pain right in her spine, right centrally, and it traveled to the side. It traveled down her leg. It was right where they saw an annular tear. The doctor said, everyone can have an annular tear. So my answer to her was, you're right. Maybe it was there before, like he said, but maybe it got flared up and annoyed, and that's why you're having symptoms. This can be justified. Your mechanism and your pain is justified by that, but it doesn't mean you're subjected to 
that. And I think that communication, that education can help them to better understand that they're not just the number and we're not dismissing it, but we're aware and we need to understand it better. So we're going to say, Jer. No, I think what you, what he, that was an awesome example of kind of me and the patient halfway. And I think when I was, if I was a younger clinician in that situation, I would try and force fed what that doctor said, like your image essentially doesn't matter, you know, you know, stop focusing on it and probably have lost that client. And I think I did that pretty early on. So that was an awesome example uh, by Kyle. I essentially met the client halfway and didn't deter them from just saying, well, this is the research, go screw yourself. Uh, but go ahead, Brandon. Yeah, before I get into some devil's advocate questions, um, let, let's go into, uh, I guess, your, your expertise in, in communicating because every therapist is going to be like, I communicate. Like, of course I do. I listen. Uh, the, I guess if you can really go into, you know, the depth of, I guess, those extra steps you need to take or maybe an example of what's communicating that we taught, we were taught in DPT school, you kind of learn maybe on your own the first year or two versus what you're talking about and maybe some of the articles that you've read that um, have really spurned you on. Because you had said something to me uh, during COVID is that you guys still maintain like 80 or 85% of your caseload through, um, you know, a shutdown where basically most uh, clinics either shut down or, or lost 75 or 80% of their volume. And, and to me that resonated. I was like, okay, they're, they're doing something right. They're, they're communicating. They've made buy-in. Something has happened. So I, I think you took it to that next two or three rungs other than just communicating. Cause I think we all think we communicate well, but how can we become better? Great questions. And I know I'm no expert whatsoever. I'm six years out of school. I have such a long way to go, but I do feel like between residency and fellowship, the mentors that I had, I tried to take advantage. Um, people like Carol Courtney, Michael O'Hearn out in um, Chicago, Eric Magrum, Aaron Hartstein at, at BOMPT, um, guys who just really made you think. And so what I learned the first thing is the Maitland thought process. Um, I learned about McKenzie, Mulligan, uh, osteopathic techniques, and I learned that they're kind of a school of thought for techniques. And what I really appreciate about Maitland is Maitland said that you can use any technique that you have to treat. You just have to understand why and what it is. His biggest emphasis was the subjective and the interrogation with empathy. And he had said, after your subjective, you should be about 70% sure you know what's going on. You should be able to rule in, rule out with your questioning. And that interrogation with empathy is something I thought I got until I went to fellowship and we took that to the next level. So I think the, the Maitland Foundation and then that building on that critical thinking and questioning was, was through the fellowship. Um, what I definitely learned was listening to the patient, actually letting them have a voice. When I was in my first job, uh, Annetta Haddock, she's here in Winchester. She gave me this book and it was about communication with patients. And the first chapter talked about how a physician usually gives about seven seconds before they interrupt a patient when they say, can you tell me why you're here? If you told me to introduce myself and you cut me off after seven seconds, I would probably say I'm probably not interested in talking to you. So I can see where that kind of sucks for any patient. 
So that challenged me to sit back and think, okay, how long can I let them talk and let them tell their story? I've done evals where it was a 40 minute subjective eval during fellowship because they challenged me to do that. And I learned, wow, you can get a patient better in one visit by just letting them talk and tell their story. Uh, so that was very helpful for me, letting a patient tell their story and kind of going from there. Another thing I think is really, really helpful is aligning your goals with them because sometimes patients go on with this expectation, you're going to cure me or you're going to make me feel better or I need this. But if you guys can work together on that first day and make those expectations known, like Dr. Uh, Jeremy said, meet them where they are, meet them halfway and kind of work on that. I think it really helps. And those are some things that I've really tried to integrate in every single eval. How about those difficult patients that, um, expect you to get them better, just want to come in and receive the passive stuff. And, and, you know, you talk about how, you know, it, it's a process and you try and empower them to, to self-manage and do some things on their own. And maybe perhaps, uh, and I want you to talk about this, this point, motivation or interviewing and, and getting people to kind of, you, you ask those thought provoking questions. So uh, they kind of get, give themselves the answers and they kind of get the epiphany on their own. And then they still don't want to do it. And yeah. I think we've all had those patients. Mm -hmm. it is, you know, how, how much, and I've said this before, and this stuff has been in like the, especially the whiplash um, uh, literature that, that's coming out, uh, that it goes back to genetic childhood experiences and, and um, outcomes are basically more psychosocial than we thought. Um, and, and all three of us have gone through residencies and fellowship training and, and we take a burden on ourselves too. And I'm sure other therapists do, but at what point does it fall on some of the patient? I just want to, you know, kind of ask you and also challenge you with, with that and maybe how, how you have, uh, how you handle that. Great question. Um, I'm actually dealing with the patient like that currently. Um, she has been to chiropractic. She's been to acupuncture. She's had things that helped her temporarily. And we had this discussion day one. I said, I want to help you. I want to be a part of that, but I want to be a piece of that. Not your, your superhero, not your hero, not your person who's going to change your world, but the person who's going to coach you, guide you. And I'll do some techniques that will help, but they're only going to be temporary. We know that in the research, manual therapy lasts 20 minutes to an hour. Are there some times where you do them a nip and then afterwards their pain goes away? Yes. Can that be placebo? Can that be psychosomatic? Can that be stiff joint, muscle relaxed, they get active again? There's so many things that that can be. We can't put it all on us. So I think educating them day one about that is definitely important. Um, but I had a patient a couple of weeks ago where it didn't work because I told her, I said, my goal is to get you to move better. Pain's going to be a secondary thing. And she wanted that quick fix. And I was never okay with that until I had to read the um, Mark Jones clinical reasoning book. I don't know if you guys have read that yet. Have either one of you guys read that book? No, I haven't. I don't think so. Great textbook. We had to read it during residency. Um, he has a newer, a second edition as well. And it's really, really smart therapists that we all look at from courses. And it develops from there and talks about uh, patient examples. And this one was a really, really strong therapist that you guys are familiar with. And he takes a patient and she had hard pain science things. He tried to educate her on that after two visits, 
she was getting better, but she wanted that quick fix. And he pretty much talks about in there his thought of, hey, I got better. I got her better in some way, but there's a lot more to do. And he's okay with, she's not ready to meet me where she needs to be. And hopefully she'll come back around in the future. So there's usually two, and maybe there's more, but two things that happen. One, these people fall off because they're not ready to, to be healed or embrace it or be challenged or don't think your philosophy or, or what you're trying to say, uh, I guess, um, falls in line with their beliefs. Or you get the patients that, that come in, you know, just kind of doing the same thing and not changing. And it's like, you know, do you, and we all have productivity numbers to, to meet, right? We don't always have 40 minutes to talk to somebody, you know, what are we doing? And I don't want, hopefully that answer takes you long because we're kind of running out of time here with Zoom limiting us to 40 minutes here. But uh, mm-hmm. hopefully you give us a, a quick, a quick uh, answer with that. Yeah. So, so what I try to do is I follow up with people. I'll personally send them a message, uh, an email or a call, a voicemail, and tell them and show them I'm interested. Show them I care. That's number one because then they know you care. And if you get back from them, you go from there. But if they weren't ready, sometimes you got to let them go. And maybe six months or a year from later, you reach back out and show that you're passionate about it. You just keep some of those tough ones start on your desk and you reach back out to them in the future. Gonna, I know Jeremy, you're pretty good at reaching back out to a lot of your clients. Anything to add on that? Yeah, I think what Kyle was saying, just you know, reaching out. I think you know, especially if you set the tone in that first eval, uh, where you know most individuals, whether it doesn't matter if it's physician, chiropractic, acupuncture, um, were never ever able to tell their story, and you just sat 30 minutes and just listened and just ask more questions and then kind of tapped into those potential biopsychosocial things, maybe their past and those sort of things. Um, they'll, they'll remember that. And it may not be their time right now um, where they're going to stick out the full plan of care. But when it finally, you know, hits that point where they're just had it with it, they'll, they'll remember you. Um, so I've had people like that where, Maybe I get into some trouble where I probably educate too much. I still try and find a balance of that. I kind of have the perspective of every session could be my last session with the person. So I give as much as I can, but sometimes too much of a good thing. Um, but, you know, at least, you know, I gave my all during that time frame, And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll come back. So I'll reach out to them. I'll send them a text. I'll send them a personal email. Uh, something of that nature just to say hey how's it going you know have you made progress hopefully you're symptom free and more often than not they're not um and then i'm like hey let's you know let's try this again or something of that nature so um yeah i think you know establishing that therapeutic alliance isn't just purely in the clinic it can be done outside the clinic um you want to go to social media you know give them clappy hands when they make a uh, their best deadlift or something like that when they've been in pain, all those things count for the client. So, um, yeah, that's, those are just some strategies that I do. So, so we're quick. We got, we got five minutes and 40 seconds left. Um, few, few things with, you know, we, we've all gotten the advanced training. We want to get people better. That's why we, we got in this uh, field. We have that John child study uh, in 2012. I forget the name of it. 
but we've seen we've all seen the image floating around um, Instagram and social media the old way, which is doctor wait two weeks MRI wait two mm-hmm. weeks whatever injection go to PT the new way just go straight to PT. Um, how do we manage that right? Because I I believe in that I believe obviously in what I do I've spent eight years of my life for school probably more than that you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of an, an education. Um, you know, and wanting to educate people, Hey, like that example, you said, yeah, you may have a herniated disc, but in the grand scheme of things, we can work through it. We can get better. You don't need it. But you have those people who want to get an MRI because they feel it's going to give them a peace of mind. But we know if those people who go and get MRI or see, you know, traditional American, uh, healthcare, they're going to get sucked into that cycle. Um, which is notoriously poor of MRI, the doctor wants to do an injection and, you know, steroids and then maybe surgery. We want to keep them out. So it's that balance of keeping them out of harm's way, but also knowing when to let them go. And that's, got, that's hard for us, let alone newer clinicians. Can you just touch upon that and hopefully we can wrap up on that? Absolutely. So uh, my thought with this is we need to meet them where they are. And this kind of comes back to that. If we can get them to trust us, They'll trust us over that cousin or that thing they read online who told them they need an MRI. So there was a study that was published in uh, JAMA 2020. It's called Practices to Foster Physician Presence and Connection with Patients in the Clinical Encounter. 73 different studies they looked at. It's a randomized controlled trial. And they found the five key things to do. Um, making sure that you prepare with intention before you meet a patient. Listen intently and completely. Sitting down, being right there agreeing on what matters most. What does the patient care about? Connecting with the patient's story. Consider their life circumstances and things that will affect it. Acknowledge their efforts that they've tried. And then number five is explore the emotional cues. Notice, notice them, their name, validate their emotions. If you can go through those five things and after an eval or visit say you've done them, my guess is when you go and you tell them that I don't think you need this now, let's trust me, let's go through this, they're probably going to say yes. So what I would say is I think every provider, primary care, ER, ortho, or, uh, PT, should look at that and consider this is, uh, are, are you doing this on each visit with a patient? That's that, great. That's awesome. um, uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, uh, Jeremy's going to post that in the, uh, the, the show notes. Um, this care measure, yeah, who posts that? Jeremy? Yep. Um, touch upon that. But what you said, I think that goes to just being present and being able to self-reflect and put our egos aside. I know coming out as a PT, it's like, I'm the doctor, you listen to me. Um, but in all reality, you know, we, we can't take that approach. Uh, Jeremy, I'll let you take the reins here. Yeah, so uh, another thing to, if you feel like when I was a young clinician, I felt that um, I was really good at this. I was a really good listener and everything like that. I was really good at just education. If you, and then if you feel like that's the case, um, you should probably still take this, this, uh, test here, the care measure, which is something you give to your clients and they evaluate you. Um, and you'd be really surprised in what you're really slacking in to a degree. So it's called the care measure. It's absolutely free. Just look it up on Google. I'll, I'll put a link to it. Um, give it to, you know, a couple 50, hundred clients and it'll start to rank you on how well you are at all these sort of things. And then it gives you something to work on. So I think I started in the 90, 
90th to 95th percentile and then was able to get into the 99th percentile in the nation or across the world in these sort of categories. But um, yeah, again, a cool tool to have. Um, I guess we should probably wrap up things. Uh, Kyle, thank you for ha- coming on and uh, providing your expertise with everything. Uh, that was a thank great you guys episode. for having me. I appreciate it. You guys are doing great things for manipulation and the profession as a whole. So I'm glad to know you guys and hope that uh, you guys only keep crushing it and everyone, everyone listens to you. Appreciate it. We'll have you on appreciate again. Right? Definitely. Um, yeah. If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at nips and sips on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I'm at uh, the decent doctor and trifecta therapeutics. Brandon's at pursue PT now and think like a fellow Kyle. Uh, you're at reshape physical therapy, I assume and anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we're on Twitter, Facebook. Um, check us out. Yeah. And then if, if you guys want any mentorship or any of this kind of interest you, we've developed, uh, you know, three of us spearheaded by Brandon, uh, online mentorship and, uh, manual therapy videos. Uh, but mentorship includes, uh, education, manual therapy, business advice. So, uh, yeah. Hopefully we can see a couple of you guys on there and uh, thanks for listening in and uh, cheers everyone.